Are you struggling to make your first 100K or next? Are you pretending you're successful, but barely getting by? Are you tired of comparing yourself to millionaires and billionaires who make it look so easy? Welcome to First 100K, the number one entrepreneur voice in America. I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like how to make your first $100,000, because I believe this is where 90% of entrepreneurs get stuck. And I tackle the mental game of entrepreneurship that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are successful entrepreneurs who share their mistakes, their number one fears, their daily habits, and their superpowers that push them over the 100K mark. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a 10-time failed entrepreneur and the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida. This show was created for you the entrepreneur who's pushing to break through the elusive 100K milestone. Wherever you are in your business, you're just 100K away. Today, my featured guest is Scott Ritzheimer. You can find him at capacityarchitect.com. Scott co-founded the Reboot of Start Church, an organization that has since helped start over 20,000 churches, nonprofits, and businesses across the country. He served first as COO, then took over the reins as CEO at the ripe old age of 27 years old. I also had an early start in my entrepreneurial career, so I really get the struggle of being young and in charge and people not wanting to listen to you because of your lack of experience or age, life experience. So Scott led the business past the $10 million mark before transitioning the company to the next generation of leaders. Today, he is a capacity architect and has committed the best years of his career to helping founders achieve the same and greater success for their business. That's you, Startup Nation. He's here to show up for you, to give you valuable tools, tips, strategies for your business, so to make you that leader that you've always dreamt you can be, but just can't find the way to get there. He's a consultant, speaker, and writer, and is passionate about helping entrepreneurs build and scale thriving organizations. So again, you can find him at capacityarchitect.com. He's going to tell us what a capacity architect actually is in his words. And Scott, welcome to your first 100K, top 100 podcast in entrepreneurship. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Yeah, Joseph, thanks so much. I mean, I think you nailed it. Uh, that's, that's all the, the highlights. Um, you know, one of the things we were talking about just pre-show is the opportunity I've had to to sit in that seat of having achieved the success that uh, a lot of us are longing for and then restart and do it all over again. And so in many ways, uh, I coach people who are going through this. In many ways, I am going through this. And uh, and so it's uh, it's a fun and challenging process to, to eat your own dog food. And uh, I think we're gonna have a great conversation today. Excellent. Now, Startup Nation, I go out of my way to bring on guests for you who are not only uh, have gone through what you're aspiring to go through, but many of them are redoing it. They're going at it again. And what they find is that even though they had early success in previous businesses and startups, every business is different. Every business is unique. The challenges are unique. The struggles are unique. I know I've gone through 12 different businesses and each business had its own set of frustrations. And I applied the model that I used in a previous success and it didn't work. And it's just exhausting. It's frustrating. You have to recreate constantly, co-create, which means you need other people and you need to be a leader, right? Who can communicate well, a clear vision to your people. So Scott, before we get into it, go ahead and take a minute, share something personal about you. Uh, that very few people in your business life actually know. 
So we'll just open up uh, the whole can of worms. And what many people don't know, uh, what basically nobody knows, is that a big part of me starting this business was the death of my daughter, mm. who was one month old at the time. Um, she lived for 30 days uh, in the NICU here in Atlanta. And when you go through something like that, it really, really shakes you. And I think many people have you know, their, their rock bottom stories. And that was certainly mine. And, and one of the things I've shared on several of these podcasts I've been on is um, listening. You have an opportunity to learn some of the same lessons I did without having to experience some of the same things that I did. And, uh, you know, I hope that I can do honor uh, by her in carrying that message forward. Mm. Thank you for going there and just being vulnerable and transparent about a human struggle, a yes. very real human struggle grief loss of someone you love dearly and when it's a child innocence purity why right and, and if we're people of faith for all of you out there who are we look up to god and we question him why why take her why did you allow that and sometimes it's not a why question it's a what question what do you want to teach me what do you want me to do with this pain who right? it's also a who question who do you want me to help who do you want me to be there for who is going through this or is about to go through something similar? Right. So, so many times I, I think Startup Nation, um, if you change the questions you ask, you will change the results you get. Very if you change so. the questions you ask, you will change the results you get. So if you're not getting the, the results you're looking for, consider changing your questions. You may not have the right ones. Scott, what do you want to say to that personally? I think that's great. Uh, I've pretty much given up on the why question, uh, specifically the, the biggest whys that I want to know. Uh, there'll be a time for that. That time's not now. Um, when she passed, the first words that I said was, God, I will always love you. I will always love my wife and I will always love my boys. And so I think you hit the, the nail on the head with that who question, you know, and, and even extending that to what I do now you know, felt like God was saying, hey, you've done your thing, which sounds funny, like I'm in my mid thirties, right? But it's like, you've done your thing. I want you to help others do their thing. And that drives every decision that I make from a business standpoint is, am I putting myself in a position to help other people do their thing, to recognize the nobility in their work, to, uh, to remove the obstacles that are preventing them from doing their work, which I think is a huge part of what you're doing on this show. And, uh, you know, it's, a big part of the reason why I do so much free content uh, and we can get into that a little bit later, but it's just, uh, my goal is not to monetize this thing. My goal is to genuinely help move people downfield. Mm. Now, you know, so many business experts out there would say, Scott, you got it wrong. You should be doing both. You need to monetize the good work that you're doing. How do you respond to that? I think that it'll come. Uh, I think, you know, there are those who I can help more by engaging one-on-one -on -one. And, and that is monetized, you know, just to make ends meet on my end and to, to be able to afford the ability to, to give away content. So I, I really don't have any tension around, can you make money and, and, and be on mission? I think you have to, I think uh, the moment that you don't, you know, something very bad has happened and, uh, and that'll catch up with you eventually. So I think the way that I manage that tension is every bit of free content that I give has to be quality in and of itself. So if I only ever make 
content to lead to something that somebody pays me for, I've not really done my job. But if I make great content and people, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you don't have to hire me, just use what I told you to do for free. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people don't, you know, and so then they hire me and I do the same thing that I told them to do for free. Uh, and, and sometimes we just need that. I recognize that. I love that. I appreciate it. My favorite thing to do is sit in the room with a founder and, and their team. And, and so, you know, it affords me the ability to do that. But again, to answer that tension succinctly, it's um, when I give away content, I'm giving away content unto itself. I get that. So let's uh, shift for a moment here, because I believe you're in a very interesting position right now that can speak to a lot of the hearts and minds of my listeners. And that is you left a team environment, a successful business team environment doing millions of dollars. And now you're out on your own flying solo. Many people though, though they have the solo entrepreneur title, they tend to do the lone wolf approach to business. And it's, it's their idea, it's their baby. So they try to protect it, not share it. They don't uh, you know, ask for help. They tend to go, go it alone. Speak to that for a second. Uh, not only the lone wolf approach, why it works or why it doesn't work. Um, and then also your own personal challenges uh, being out on your own without the team this yeah. time. Yeah, there's so much there. There's a very unique challenge that entrepreneurs have because they're doing something that most people think can't be done. And that takes an internal resolve to say, no, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and so the very thing that will make you successful is the very thing that will isolate you. And, and you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You have to hang on to both. But the, the challenge that's very specific to entrepreneurs is that they have to step into that really awkward space of that internal resolve. Like no matter what someone says, well, I'm moving forward which is very necessary, essential at times. And then also the humility to say, I don't have the full picture. And, uh, you know, the, the way that I, I say it when I'm working with folks is alone takes a long time. Because, you know, every one of us has to learn when you look at business and, and having started nearly 20,000 organizations, I've seen this pattern again and again and again and again and again. We all think that everything about what we're doing is unique and we're all learning the exact same lessons every single one of us, you know, and there are, yes, plug in a couple unique variables here and there. Um, there's different types of businesses. There's different strategies, of course. But the reality of it is the toughest things that we'll learn are the things that happen in our heart, not our head. And we're all learning those same lessons. And if you can tap into something like this, free content on a podcast or, uh, or a relationship with someone who's been down that road, you, know, you don't have to pay for it, but you do have to find other people who are going through it and who have been through the same thing because they'll help you speed up dramatically through that learning process. Um, second, uh, do you wanna jump on that real quick? Anything? No, no, I think okay. you, you landed that plane. Okay, good. good. So second question was, how is it moving from a team environment to an individual environment? And it was the single hardest thing about last year, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I am built for team environments. I love team environments. Like I said before, my favorite thing to do is be in the room with a founder and their team. Uh, everything about the, my kind of DNA as a business person is, is shaped around team. And then I went off and did something solo. And I think a lot of that was healthy. You know, there was a, especially the first few months, there was just a like dialing back. You know, I went from having 70, 80 people reporting to me and needing something from me every day to having nobody reporting to me and needing something every day. And, and that was, there was a glorious break in there, but mm. particularly once COVID hit and, and there was just this kind of collective strain, my like leadership 
whatever was on, you know, it was on 11. Like it was cranked all the way up. Like, let's go after this. And I'm looking around like, who am I going to lead? You know, it's, and it was just me. And that was so, so hard. Uh, my, the only times I've really thought like, Hey, should I have done this business thing? It had nothing to do with money, had nothing to do with the normal things that I would have expected. It was, did I really want to give up my team? And, and so that's been a, a really big challenge. I think a lot of us face that uh, when going it alone. I would say there's time for both. Um, but what I've done is I've built up a team of people, even though I don't have employees on board, there's different contractors that are used. There's several coaches that, I, uh, that I've engaged and uh, meet with regularly. There are business groups that I'm part of. Uh, and then there's a handful of people who you know, just love me and want to help out. And so they help out with odds and ends around what we do. And I couldn't make it happen without them. And so in a way, I've, I've gotten back to my team. Uh, it looks very different than it did beforehand. But I, I would encourage folks, even if you don't have money to pay for an employee, there are people who love you and want to help you. Mm. And, and lean into that. Don't be so proud that you can't ask for help. Um, don't be so caught up in your own way that you can't let somebody else contribute because there are people who love you and want to help. Powerful words from Scott here. Now, Scott, let me ask you this. The media, social media sells us on, you got to look like you have it all figured out. You got to look successful in order to attract more money, right? Attract success, like attracts like. So successful people don't want to invest in unsuccessful people. So if you're struggling and you need help, don't tell people. That's the last thing you should do because then nobody wants to help you. Speak to that for a moment. There's lots of different opinions on, on how to do that. For me, you have to earn the right to, to hear that side. Uh, I, I don't think that's for everybody. That's not a pride thing. That's just, a, um, you know, Brene Brown talks about those who are in the ring, you know, as opposed to the spectators in the stands. And uh, I very much agree with that approach on it. Now, Brene is also one of the most vulnerable people live uh, that you'll, you'll talk to. So uh, I think there is, there should be a tension there. If anyone says, say everything to everybody all the time, or if someone says, say nothing to anybody ever, like th both of those are, are wrong in, in equal but opposite ways. So for me, it's about having a handful of people that I can be a hundred percent with. And, and when I have that, and when I am a hundred percent with them, um, I can deal with the, the demons, if you will, while also um, projecting the confidence in the areas that are, are, that is warranted. You know, if I'm not confident and I'm vulnerable and Hey, I have no idea how to help you. Like that's not helpful to the people that you're trying to serve. And uh, JJ Peterson of StoryBrand uh, had a post up uh, not too long ago where he said, you can be vulnerable about anything, but don't be vulnerable about what it is that you're guiding people through. So when you're a guide in somebody else's life and helping them through their story, um, it's not your time to work out your stuff. It's your time to help them and get the story away from you and onto them and in, in your role in their story as a guide, not as a fellow hero walking the journey uh, in, in that specific respect. And I, I agree with that. Okay, got it. Let's shift to capacity architect. What does that mean in your language and why is that important to entrepreneurs? Yeah, so the question that I help folks answer is what happens when you know these, these folks that get their first 100K, that start making progress, that build that seven-figure business, you know, what, what I found, what I experienced personally and what I help people work through is that your problems don't go away. You know, there, there's a lot of, of challenges in that first 100K and I don't want to minimize that at all. But what I think, you know, the social media, you talked about that earlier, what we present is once you get to a million dollars, everything's great. You know, it's wonderful. Once you have employees, everything's, everything's awesome. You can live the life that you want to be free and do all of these things. And that's just not the case. You know, what I find again and again, working with people in that seven, eight figure range is 
um, the nature of the game changes, but we have to adapt to change to it. And so there's this period uh, that's a lot of fun where you're playing the right game, you're playing it the right way and you're crushing it. But what happens is the rules are changing behind the scenes. The, the, the challenges of leading 30 people are very different than the challenges of leading three people. You know, the challenges of working with 3000 clients instead of 13 clients, you know, it's just, it's a different game. And what happens is we get really good at playing the existing game, but then that game's changing behind the scenes and we don't know what to do about it. And so as a capacity architect, what I'm doing is walking into these high six, usually seven figure businesses where the founders are really, really struggling and they're experiencing pain that's very, very similar. And in many ways, even more confusing than the pain that folks are struggling with in that, that first hundred K, because it feels like I should, I should feel good about this. Like I, I make great money. I'm employing a team of people. My company is this great success. Why do I, why am I struggling? And there's some real, very real answers to that. What do you find is the number one thing that's causing people to struggle after they hit the 100K mark? Yeah. The biggest thing is why I've got my little Jenga stack back here is I tell people they're still playing Jenga with their business. In the that first 100K range, more often than not, if a customer asks, can you do this? The answer is yes. You know, and, and so what happens is we're highly resilient. We're highly adaptive. We're doing whatever it takes to succeed. Well, during that time, there's this accumulation of tasks that builds up and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. There are these synapses in our brain as founders that say, if I don't do this, it won't happen because we went through years of, if you didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. But when there's a whole group of people that are actually there to make things happen and you still position yourself as the one who's got to make everything happen, you end up pulling you know, bits from the bottom of the Jenga stack and putting them on top to succeed, but the foundation's getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And so what, the way that you see that, the way that that shows up is you have these founders who are, you know, their, their revenues are higher than ever, but their hours worked are higher than ever as well. And the return that they're getting each year on that growth is going lower and lower and lower. And something they, they recognize, hey, something's got to give. And so what we do is go in and help them to recognize what is it that only you can do? Because that first 100K, there's an element of that, but it's really what needs to get done. Once you reach that, that next transition point as a leader, the question is, what is it that only you can do? And, and what is it that only your leaders can do? And, and making sure that the right tasks get to the right people in the right parts of the organization. So that, I would say that was the biggest one. So to clarify, in simple terms, I would say you put people in the right seats in an organization, including the founders themselves, who sometimes can be in the wrong seat based on the, right, their previous experience. Well, it worked before, so I should keep doing this and push yeah. harder. And you're like, no, actually, now you're an anchor for the business. Right. There was a, a couple that I worked with that had a marketing agency, uh, John and Rachel, and they, uh, th they had grown very, very quickly. They had a, several years of just trying to figure this thing out. And then all of a sudden they got a couple of corporate clients that brought in about 100, 200 different individual clients that they had to meet. Now, if you're in the marketing business and you can find 200 paying clients, like that's glorious. Uh, so this had just happened probably six months before I met them. Uh, I met them. I gave a talk at a group that, uh, that John was in and he came to me afterwards and he said, I, 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 something has to change or I'm going to quit. Like, but, but wait a second, like in the meeting, you were just telling me about how you got all these new clients and, and you were growing and things are wonderful. And he's like, yeah, no, it's, it, that's true, but I, I, something has to change or I'm done. And what had happened was they had just lost one of their key leaders. 
who is just completely overwhelmed. And as is the case in many organizations that I start working with, all of that work fell back to John and Rachel. They're working 100 plus hour weeks and they were so burnt out. And they, they just couldn't even see the way out anymore, you know? And, and, and again, it's that frustration of like, hey, this shouldn't be this way. Like we worked so hard to get through those early days so that we could be in the place that we're in today. And it's not what we expected. And so after working with them, uh, we sat down and it, it pretty quickly became clear what the problem was. They had a lot of talented people on staff. They just hadn't figured out how to offload those tasks. And so we just went through and, and for a, a certain portion of the day, just kind of one by one, what are the things that you're doing? What are the things you've done over the last two weeks? And who do those need to go to? Because they, don't, they shouldn't be on you. Because they were doing all these tasks that honestly, just about anyone in the organization could do. And they were sacrificing the tasks that only they could do. They had really, really tight budgeting requirements because of the way that they did billing. And so they were scared stiff over whether or not they were going to have money for the next three months because they couldn't take the time to look at it. And so there's all this stress. And, you know, in one meeting, one meeting of just sitting down, looking at it and saying, no, put that there, put that there, put that there. I, I still remember, I don't think I'll ever forget the looks on both of their faces when you know, something came up toward the end of the meeting that they weren't expecting. And another person on the team was like, oh, no, I can handle that. And it was like the light bulb went off after all that. It's like, I, it doesn't have to be us. You know, like it, we don't have to be the ones to solve that problem. We've hired great people who know how to do it. And it was like, I don't know where their blood pressure was, but I'm pretty sure it went down dramatically. And just the look of relief. And, and I mean, it's moments like that, that that make doing what I do so worth it. So I'm gonna call you Dr. Scott because you seem to be a doctor for their business, right? Their blood pressure. So Scott- Give us your top three tips or strategies, and let's make it specific, not just to get my listener over the 100K mark, but how for my listener to stop working 40 plus hours per week in their business. What are your top three tips or strategies? Some of them have teams, uh, others, they just have contractors, and other listeners, they haven't even taken either of those steps yet. How yeah. do they stop working so many hours in their business and playing the lone wolf? It's so true, isn't it? You know, one of the definitions of an, of an entrepreneur is someone who quits working 40 hours a week for someone else to work 80 hours for themselves. And, uh, and it's, yeah, I'm, I'm being conservative with the 40 yeah, hours. It's now. the glory and challenge of what we do. So the first thing I would say is if you have not listened to it already, go listen to the podcast that Joseph did with Sean Castrina, um, it was recorded recently at the time of this recording, but it's fantastic. There is so much wisdom in that uh, that episode. I would strongly, strongly recommend it. He, he talks about a couple of things in there that I really want to repeat because they're, they're really powerful for this space. The first one is find yourself a partner. Now, if your goal is to, to make this a thing that you do and only you do, then like I said earlier, find some people to help you get an executive assistant, uh, ask a friend, you know, hire your 13 year old, whatever it is, you need somebody to help you with at least a few tasks. But if you can, if your goal is to go beyond just your own employment, you know, and being a self-employed sole uh, proprietor, then find yourself a partner. Now they don't have to be a partner in the business necessarily. You can go any direction with that, but you need somebody else. And specifically what you need is someone who, is, who has a leadership style that is an operator. So I'm not going to go into all of the different styles uh, on this just for the sake of time, but there's actually four different leadership styles that, that people use when they show up to a workplace. And most visionaries, or I'm sorry, most entrepreneurs are visionaries, right? They, they love the ideas. They're 30,000 foot thinkers. They're seeing what could be in the future. And where visionaries struggle is to see that idea come to pass, 
right? Where visionaries struggle is, okay, we've got the idea. Now, how do we execute? And they can do it. It's not that they can't do it. But if you can find somebody who has that operator style, that's how they thrive. And, and the, that visionary operator combination is the, the rocket fuel, if you will, that can get an organization out of that, that kind of early, we, we call it early struggle. That first 100K, that early struggle as a business. Uh, if you can find that person who, who, they're kind of like the symbiotic twin to a visionary, like the things that you don't like, they love. And uh, there's actually a, a free quiz on the, the site uh, if you're interested in it. There's a, a book we'll talk about here at the end, and, and I actually include it in there as well for anyone who, who's looking for it. But give that to them and say, hey, you know, take this quiz real quick and find out if they're an operator. Because if they are, and you know, the other things, do your due diligence. But if you find an operator, you'll be amazed at how much they love to do the things that you don't like to do and how much progress you can make. He says on there, I'd rather have uh, 50% of, it's something like 50% uh, of a big pie rather than 100% of a small one. And I'll tell you what, when you can get a visionary operator combination working together well, uh, you can put together a pretty big pie pretty quickly. Can I uh, share something as well that uh, yeah. Sean said off camera? Um, because we were speaking about coaches and hiring people for uh, things outside your superpower, right? And he goes, Joseph, I do not invest uh, in people's products anymore or services, coaches. He said, I never put my money in ever again. I'll never do it again. I was like, well, what do you do? He's like, I offer them 50% of what I'm going to make by them helping me. Yeah. And he's like, anyone who is good at what they do is going to jump at that opportunity. And if they were questionable, it's going to filter them right out. Yeah. He's like, but I'm not going to invest my money and risk whether or not they could get me the results. Yeah. He's like, I'm offering them 50% of the profits. Yeah. They'll take it. And he's like, it's been working very well for me. And I was, yeah. that made me really rethink some of my, my yeah. uh, partnerships as well. So yes, there's something that we call the artisan trap. And, and this is really what's driving most of these hours as a sole proprietor, when it's just you, uh, he even talks about the three things that businesses do, but there's really two modes that you're in. There's developing new business and fulfilling existing business. And you can only do one at a time right? We don't multitask nearly as good as we want. And so what tends to happen is we'll kind of go all in on develop new business and then we'll develop, we'll have developed all that business and go, oh, shoot, now I have to deliver all that business. And then what happens? We stop developing business. Mm -hmm. And, and so you either get into a cycle, which is really, really painful. You know, it's, it's that kind of famine or feast mentality, or you work so many crazy hours to make both of those happen. Uh, that visionary operator combination, it, it, it takes all of that away. It, it really does. I agree completely. I'm working with a client right now, husband and wife team. And uh, unfortunately, he put his wife in the role of, of handling all the finances and they swore they would never do that. But life showed up, right? And their business grew to seven figures and all of a sudden he needed her in the role. There was an emergency. Well, that's, I understand, but she's been in the role for the past two years and it's maddening for her. It's stealing her joy, sucking her life, et cetera, and causing him so much frustrations of, of, of things that she misses, et cetera, because she's the wrong person for the wrong seat. And you can imagine the impact they're having in their marriage. That's yeah. why they, they hired me as a coach for the personal yeah. side of their business. Um, but one of the things is, uh, that we're working together on is getting that right person to replace her so that she can step out of the role she was never a fit for, but even more so to get him back into selling and landing new contracts because he's completely uh, uh, immersed right now in fulfilling the contracts, but not bringing in the new business. So in the next 12 months, we're going to double his revenue because we're going to get him back to what he was great at to begin with. Does that speak to what you're saying? 
Absolutely. And, and I see that again and again and again. Uh, you know, the, it, it is not uncommon for businesses I work with who go through that similar kind of transition to, to, to double, to add seven figures to their bottom line. You know, not even the top line, but it, it's so powerful what you're talking about today. It's really, really hard to do when you get started. You know, that first 100K is the hardest point to do it, but it's so powerful that if you can, if you can work out a, an arrangement like, uh, like Sean recommended, or if you can find that person who, who's just willing to take the risk with you in, in one way, shape or form, uh, I would strongly recommend do it. If, if your goal is to get there one day, do it sooner than you feel like you can. Excellent. So you got to find yourself a partner. That's step one. Make sure their leadership style is operator. Go get the uh, the book, the quiz on uh, Scott's website there. Um, what's your, your uh, second strategy and your third? You yep. So second strategy is to focus ruthlessly on finding a profitable, sustainable market. Again, I keep going back to Sean's because it was so good. He, he gave us great in the trenches language around this. But it, what we tend to do is we tend to try and build a business that looks good when what we really should be doing is, is going out and finding people who want to buy our product and service. And so, especially for entrepreneurs, if, if you have more of that visionary edge or, or um, you know, whatever that may look like, the tendency is to, as soon as you get a little bit of success, you kind of wave the success flag and you try and jump to the next thing. You don't actually let yourself build momentum along the way. And so the second thing is to really focus in on that one market where you can find a profitable, sustainable market there and then ride that wave as long and as deep as you possibly can. I think that's super good advice, Startup Nation. I agree completely with Scott. This is why the most common thing that uh, entrepreneurs struggle with, that my guests struggle with on this show regardless if they did six figures, seven figures, or eight figures, or even nine figures last year is imposter syndrome. And I think it's because they haven't spent enough time, like the, like you just said, Scott, developing that market and getting so many victories in that market that their natural confidence has built up to such a level where they don't feel like an imposter. But if they're constantly jumping to the next market or the next shiny object, they didn't really build the confidence that they needed. So then all of a sudden something could shift. You could lose a market and then they go back to almost ground zero mindset wise of like, oh, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. If everybody finds out, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, what if you like actually leaned into your market, knew your client backwards and forwards and actually knew what you were doing? That's what you're saying, right? Exactly. You know, visionaries, they have a very high squirrel factor. You know, it's like the Doug from Up. You know, they they all want to go after They want so badly to be a part of whatever's happening. But man, as soon as that squirrel moves over there, it's like we have to go after it. And and that's that's a massive challenge when you're trying to create momentum in a business. And momentum is what builds confidence, I believe. Yeah. When you get victory after victory after victory after victory, it's undeniable. You have so much evidence that it's working and that you're working. Uh, what's your third strategy, Scott? Your third one is get a daily routine uh, and build that routine around quarterly goals. So no matter if you're working by yourself or with a team, uh, it's so easy to run in a thousand different directions and at a thousand different times. And you need that consistency of practice. You need to do the hard work you don't want to do, and you got to do it every single day. And so there's so many methodologies on it. And, and for me, you pick Can whichever you give us yours? one you want. Mine, you know, I bounce around. There's one by Donald Miller that I've used for quite a while. Uh, if you go to... Um, I'm trying to think of where people can find it. But if you look for Daily Planner, Donald Miller online, you'll find it somewhere. But he's got just a one sheet that you can use. And the thing that I like about it is uh, there's a place on there to, to say, you know, what you're all about, what your mission is. And, and I think especially in those early days, it's so important to keep that front and center. 
and and make sure that whatever you do that day is moving to you toward that mission. Uh, my favorite goal setting strategy is is it's a it's called OKRs. It's used by a lot of the bigger tech companies, but you can use it as an individual. And if you look up um, "Measure What Matters" by John Doerr, that's a great book on the topic. Excellent, thank you for that, Scott. All right, Scott, uh, we're speaking with Scott Ritzheimer. You can find him at capacityarchitect.com. He's going to tell us uh, what he's got for you, Startup Nation, in just a few minutes. But before we go there, Scott, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it. What's your favorite thing about being a solo entrepreneur? I love having a vision and getting to go after it. What's your least favorite thing? Being alone. Yeah. What are you most afraid of? I am most afraid of, uh, that's a hard one. Um, I am most afraid of letting customers down once I have them. You know, like I I want so badly for them to win that uh, I don't want to get in the way of their success. Mm, That's what Sean spoke about as well as make sure you deliver on what you promised and what they paid you for. Uh, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of being human. What are you currently struggling right now with uh, either professionally or personally? Yeah, I'm struggling with not having a team to lead. Uh, I got very good at delegating tasks. And so I got to get really good at doing tasks. And, uh, and that's a bigger challenge than I want to admit. Do you have a partner right now that you've taken on in your business or not yet? uh, I do. Uh, I have uh, a handful of folks that are um, not formal partners, but I'm, I'm actually in the uh, process of negotiating a formal partnership and I'm very excited about it. That's great. Great news. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Uh, let's see, working. Uh, I, I, would, I would honestly say that. Um, a lot of people took the opportunity of COVID to slow down a little bit and I took the opportunity to double down. And I prided myself on that for a while, but uh, there's an element of that that I really regret. Mm, got it. What secret fear do you have about people? Um, secret fear that I have about people that I'll offend them and not know. I've got a, I've got a track record of doing that. And so uh, I've, I've hurt people and had no idea that I did it. And then uh, I'm afraid that they won't tell me because it's probably not what I meant at all. Mm. Well, just so you know, you haven't offended me yet. Good. <laughs> so good job. What do you wish you had learned sooner in business? Uh, that alone takes a long time. Uh, we ran uh, Start Church, my, my previous company, in a very, very insular way. You know, if there was a problem, we had the solution. And I spent a long, long time learning a lot of lessons that someone else had already figured out. Mm, so good. What's a new habit you want to create in your life? A new habit is celebration. Uh, that my journey right now has been um, pursuing joy, you know, celebrating each of the small moments along the way and celebrating the big moments when they happen. That pause, I'm terrible at. <laughs> yeah, I get that. A lot of people struggle with that. What's a bad habit you want to break? A bad habit that I want to break, um, uh, it would be my squirrel factor. You know, I, I want to, I want to be more consistent with my daily routine. I have one and a win is about 40, 50% of that. You know, I'd like to get to maybe 60, 70% of that. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Who I am now. Um, uh, I've listened to these questions and for whatever reason, it's still challenging. Uh, okay. So things that I am now is, um, I'm a, this isn't a word, I, I'm struggling with the word, someone who goes alongside. So alongside will be my, my first word. Um, a traveler, an advocate. There you go. Hopeful yeah. and, um, uh, and driven. Hmm, got it. 
Pick three words to describe who you were your first year in this business. Uh, that was that was last year. So I, I was frustrated. Uh, I was impatient, uh, and I was ambitious. You just described the first half of my career. <laughs> and last question, Scott, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends, your boys in the eye, your wife, and give them only one piece of advice about everything. What would you say to them? Love well. Love well, Startup Nation. I agree. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about making their first $100,000 this year? Uh, alone takes a long time. Alone takes a long time. Sounds like a broken record, but we need to hear it over and over and over and over again, don't we? For sure. Uh, Scott, what's the best way for Startup Nation to get in touch with you if they so choose? What do you got for them? Yeah. So we've got a, uh, an ebook that I'd love to share with the, your audience at capacityarchitect.com slash 100K, 100K. And it basically it walks through three problems that successful founders face. So there's a lot in there to learn, even in your one, first 100K, but there's a lot in it to help you avoid these problems altogether. None of them have to be experienced if you know that they're coming. So I'd strongly recommend that you, you check that out. It's got a bunch of other useful tools in there uh, for building teams and, and finding those partners that'll really help move you forward. Startup Nation, go get that free book from Scott, that free download. You need it. You need it. You want it. Go get it. You can find that at capacityarchitect.com forward slash 100K. Scott, thank you for being on your first 100K. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, my friend. Thanks so much, Joseph. Cheers. Startup Nation, I help men blow up rocks. You know, the rock that's standing between you and your wife and blocking intimacy. The rock standing between you and your kids, blocking you from communicating and connecting with them. The rocks in your head from childhood and trauma that make you feel like an imposter in your own business. The secret rock that weighs you down every single day. It's not about going in and doing consciousness woo-woo work. No, it's about saying, hey, there's rocks standing between you and true success. Do you want to go blow them up together? If you want to blow up the rocks in your life to smithereens so that you can scale your income and your impact, visit blowuprocks.com to learn more. That's blowuprocks.com. Have a blessed week and I'll see you on the next episode.